From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break, the playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You could build yourself a homemade scratching machine or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratchers from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been, I believe, just watching recently. But Mary Beth could be throwing me for a loop. I'm Terry. I'm Mary Beth. It is just 
watching this time. I didn't throw the book in yet because I didn't finish it. Um, oh, no. <laughs> what are we talking about? I'm also reading. <laughs> Fucking hell. Anyway. <laughs> this week, <laughs> wow. we're chatting about queer time loops, a jaunt back to the aughts teen sex comedies, interesting, queer folk horror, a nightmare at sea, and the only Marvel thing that Mary Beth cares about. Yeah. I mean, I I, I know exactly what you're talking about and, and pretty much the same with me. I'm very excited to hear. But let's, let's start with queer time loops so i've been i tweeted about this this is the the new hulu movie jagged mind okay mm-hmm. that hit hulu i believe last week this it's directed by kelly collie and she she's made a couple like dramas before and documentaries but this is her first kind of foray into um genre and it was based it's another one of the film feature films that's based on one of the bite-sized short like hulu ween like bite-sized shorts and was developed into a feature and honestly i think people are sleeping on these a little bit i'm gonna just like step out and say that because these movies are being directed by like queer women and women and doing some really interesting stuff so jagged mind is the latest one but there was also clock the Diana Argon Agron movie. There's Appendage that's coming out. Um, Matriarch was pretty decent. So I think just overall, I think they're doing some really cool stuff. And I think they're being kind of ignored, um, which is a bummer because I think Jagged Mind is one of the best ones they've done so far. Okay. So Jagged Mind, it takes place in Little Haiti in Miami. And it follows this young woman who is having these weird blackouts. And mm. her mom has similar issues and she has like early onset dementia so she's really worried that she has the same thing and while she so she's trying to deal with this well also but she works in an art gallery with her toxic ex which is like you know always a good way to do things yeah <laughs> her name is billy sorry billy played by Maisie richardson sellers and she's really incredible in this and meanwhile she meets this woman named alex played by shannon woodward who we've seen in um, Westworld, they start a relationship. And the blackouts keep continuing, and Billy's getting freaked out, but she's also having these really weird nightmares and all this stuff. And then she kind of finally comes to realize that there's something going on with Alex, and Alex is doing some some very interesting stuff to keep them together. It is one of the better depictions of interper- like inter- or of like interpersonal slash like relationship domestic violence like between two partners it's really he- it's heavy it's it's yeah, not it sounds like it it's pretty heavy because it it does it's the first time i've ever seen time looping kind of used like this before i feel like time loop films are usually kind of like have less of like a very human root cause and it's more of like existential or and it's used in a very like very particular way i feel like time loops are used of like oh you're stuck and don't know how to get out and there isn't like a way out but here, there's a person doing that to somebody and using oh. time loops as an abuse tactic. And it's really good. And again, like, it's not going to be for everybody because of the subject matter. But yeah, I think it it's a heavy. really interesting way to look at this. And I, it's not, it's not like the most groundbreaking, but I also think we haven't seen a queer movie like this that handles like, 
we've seen a couple movies like What Keeps You Alive and like, but that's all from a guy's perspective with like a lesbian couple. Here it's from a female perspective. I think it's a queer female perspective in terms of looking at like domestic violence in a really interesting way and putting the horror spin on it in a really interesting way. So it's like, I liked it, but I don't want to watch it again because it was like really well done. But again, like it's something we don't see tackled in such a unique way and kind of looked at from this perspective, kind of using this angle. So if that's like something you might be interested in watching, it's on Hulu now. Cool. And as Tony said in chat that um, Shannon Woodard also played uh, Dina in the, the Last of Us Part Two. Oh, that's right. That is right. But yeah, so I highly recommend. And it also uses the idea of voodoo in a really interesting way that is not how mm. we ever see it. Because the director has a background. She's she's um, a black woman and she has done a lot of research about Haiti and like using Haitian like influences in her films and so in this one she used Haitian beliefs but like in a positive way not in like a scary witch doctor kind of way that we typically see it so it's just operating on some really interesting levels in terms of pushing boundaries of how things are depicted in horror and I think it should be getting a lot more attention for what it's doing and the conversations it's trying to have yeah and I I see on her IMDb page that she has a bachelor's degree in anthropology with the focus in archaeology so like yeah it's super cool yeah so she's like and again like she did a lot of documentary work before so there's like this really kind of like anthropological point of view with Mm -hmm. everything but which I love though which I think is actually really important I I didn't I interviewed her and didn't get to ask this question but I think like having like a sociology slash anthropological background is really helpful in making horror films if that somehow is like what ends up happening because I feel like you have like a really interesting perspective on the world and behavior but then also can bring like the specific cultures and everything you study and give a breathe new life into something that we don't usually see so that's definitely on display here with her work with kelly collie and i want her to make more horror movies i think what she did was really cool Uh, look we're getting weird messy chaotic evil queers on places like Hulu, I mean, I just have to, I have to celebrate it. You know what I mean? Like, I have yeah. to give it a shout out and I have to love it. And the best thing about this movie by far is that this isn't like, they're lesbians. It's mostly like, it's completely treated like normal. And there's like no, there's no like trauma of coming out. There's no like, they're just, they're just get, they're just women loving, like just sapphic people. It sounds like the horror doesn't come from queer trauma exactly like there's queer trauma happening but it's not like because they're queer yeah and then also it's all women in the movie there's like one or two like minor male characters but all of the main characters are women it's like very femme so hell yeah and the lead is black it's just great it's just it's just checking a lot of boxes just doing some cool stuff so check it out once again jagged mind i'm trying to get more people to watch it because again this is one of these movies that i think is like a sleeper hit and people just aren't gonna see it and like maybe i'm overhyping it but i just you know it's cool art that's happening that feels different from a lot of things that we're seeing and i watch so much shit so when i see something that feels so different it excites my my spirit yeah (laughs) hell yeah kind of i think Probably taking a very, very, very left turn is the jaunt back to aughts teen sex comedies. Though, honestly, I like a good palate cleanser. This sounds like yeah. a good palate cleanser from the heaviness I just talked about. So I, I, I did tweet about this. So but so people probably know what I'm, ta- I'm going to talk about. But um, I 
was a big fan growing up of like the the teen sex comedy. They obviously yeah. have not aged the best coming out of like the late nineties, early aughts, like those type of post American Pie road trip, all that kind of stuff. The jokes a lot of times have not aged very well. And there is, of course, in the early aughts, a lot of homophobia. And I want to like couch this because I have a soft spot in my heart for this little movie called Euro Trip that I haven't watched in a very long time. And I was like, I wonder, does the, is this going to hold up or am I going to be cringe through the entire thing? And I got to say, I think this of any of these early aughts types of sex comedies, this one probably is held up the best. There are still some jokes that, like, but they don't feel malicious in this one. Like, there are some jokes at the expense of, like, other cultures, particularly Italians. There's some jokes, again, like, about uncomfortable homosexuality kind of stuff. The excusey stuff is what... The miscusey, yes. Yeah, that is, like, the only thing I know about that movie. (laughs) Which, again, he is played by Fred Armisen. He, in, the, in this group. Oh, it really... is Fred Armisen. Okay. Yes. And, and Kate is asking, is that the Scotty doesn't know? And yes, it sure is. Scotty, Scotty doesn't, doesn't know. know that Fiona and me. <laughs> yeah. It is the best fictional song ever. It is probably one of the best cameos ever with um, Matt Damon as a punk bolt, like shaved punk singing about how he is sleeping with Fiona, who is the main character's girlfriend behind his back and how he thinks she's going to church, but she's down on her knees, but she's not at ch- Like, it's it's oh a very... Oh, God, I remember this. <laughs> and it's it's a very funny oh. song. And the song continues... What, what I love about this movie is that the song continues throughout the film as they go to all these different European countries in different, like, styles and languages. And so it's like this song has, like, taken on a life of its own throughout the entire movie. And, okay, it's about this this high school student named Scotty who's been chatting with this person online um, who he thinks is named Mike. And um, he has a girlfriend uh, named Fiona who, after they graduate, breaks up with him and tells him that she's been cheating on him. And he gets really drunk at a at a graduation party, comes home, and Mike has, has emailed him saying apologizing for his girlfriend, dumping him, but that now that they're not together, maybe they can hang out and and Mike can come visit him. And this is prefaced before before this is Scotty's best friend telling him, you know, this this person is probably a creep and just wants you know, wants to like chain you in his sex dungeon. Ah, so he yes. freaks out and he tells Mike to go fuck himself or whatever. And then the next morning, his brother tells him, uh, that's not Mike, that's Mika. That's a traditional German <laughs> name for a woman. And so then he goes on this quest to go win her back and, you know, fly to Berlin and tell her that he, tell her that he apologizes because she's of course gorgeous and it just follows their adventures across Europe, and it's um, there is a lot of humor in it that is not has not aged very well, but I I still think it is a very funny movie and pretty wholesome for like that huh. kind of movie okay. of that decade. And here's the thing: here's the surprising thing: it is written and directed by a bunch of well men, but a bunch of men who would go on to do create Barry, Silicon Valley, 
Oh. Veep. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, So it has, like, it has a, a, there's a lot of more, like, I, I would, I hate to say sophisticated humor, but, like, in terms of what those types of movies were giving us, uh, there was there was a lot of um, I think there's a little bit more elevation to it, and so yes, watching it in 2023 is like there's moments that are definitely very cringe. Um, it's also one of the very o- the only sex comedies from that era I remember that has like a buffet of penises because they go to a nude beach thinking that they're gonna see a bunch of naked women and it's just a bunch of dude hanging dong and it's just like a it's like a dick buffet just on the beach. Do you hear her? I do. <sighs> So Why sweet. is she doing this? Sorry. She wants to share her opinions. Are you singing Scotty Doesn't Know? Scotty Doesn't Know. <laughs> is that what's your favorite teen sex comedy? American Pie? You sick bitch. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, so I revisited it. Um, I do think, in terms of that type of comedy from that era, I think it's held up. And even like the jokes that are okay. a little uncomfortable. I, I don't think are as malicious in this as as any other one. There's like this moment that's almost played for a joke where um, where Scotty tells, after he's found out that Mike is Mika, he's telling his best friend, he's like, I think I'm in love with Mike. And he's like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. I'm happy that you feel comfortable coming out to me. And it's it's played like that, but it's, it's, it's almost, it's very wholesome as a joke as opposed to like, yeah, it's uh, not like sad. I knew you were gay or something. Right. Yeah, like, it was more like, oh, I'm so I'm here for you. Like it, I, I see what you mean. Like they go for like the silly joke, but they don't make it like mean, mean spirit. They no. don't make it mean spirit. It's not mean spirited at yeah. all, and like hateful. <laughs> Which is a difference than a lot of the sex comedies from that era. When you look back yes. at them, they're very, they can be very mean. And I do. You, th- I don't, you think? <laughs> And I just, I don't, I don't get that from this movie. I, I, and again, uh, Tony mentioned, you know, it has our queen, Michelle Trackenberg in it. She's, she's in it. She's great. Uh, Scott Mecklowitz, who is this relatively, I think, unknown actor, but he played Scott, Scotty. And I just, I was, had such a huge crush on him uh, growing up, (laughs) like in my, well, not growing up, like in my, in my twenties, he just was a very handsome lad. I need to see this because I, I never I don't know why I never saw this one. I think it came out. I was just young enough to like not be able to see it and then like didn't really care to watch it later when I was like old enough to watch it. But my, like I knew about it because my friends had watched it and I like I knew the Nick Scoozy part and the Scotty the doesn't know. Mm-hmm. That's all I knew about it. And I actually haven't seen it. But now I kind of want to watch it. I think I think it's fun for like, that type of movie. Sometimes you just want to watch like kind of a dumb, fun, entertaining movie. I don't need it to be PC. You know what I mean? Like oh. I can appreciate a two thousand. <laughs> I can appreciate a two thousand and four sex comedy from uh-huh. the United States of America for exactly what it is. You know what yes. I mean? Like, like again, the, the the non PC part of it. There is a moment where um, they end up at at the Vatican and. The, the best friend is wearing the Pope's hat. And we all lit on fire and he's dancing. Like, like, You're on fire. The hat, the hat, the hat's on fire. He's like, we don't need no water. Let that motherfucker burn. And so it's like, I, I don't. That's <laughs> right. I remember that. Too. Okay. Everything is coming back to me of like the trailer and like everything. Uh-huh. Like, 
I mean, I kind of love, but again, like that's kind of incredible to me yeah. in terms of humor. It sounds like it's like definitely 2004 humor, but not as egregious Absolutely. as so many other no. movies were, which no. I like it. I respect that. It, it, it makes it feel a little bit more timeless than like, mm-hmm. oh, you're just going to call someone the F slur for like 30 minutes. Cool. Right. <laughs> and I was really surprised that I, from what I remember, again, I was watching this as I was falling asleep um, on Saturday night. And I, so but I was like, I don't think the F slur is used at all in this movie, which again, for that time period, feels... Look how easy it was, everybody. Uh, Tony is telling me I need to watch Feast then. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Fe- did we, talk, we talked about that recently, didn't we? We did, yeah. That is, that's a, a wild-ass movie that mixes um, definitely, yes, oh, it monster is the Monster Come. Come. I'm a self-proclaimed monster fucker, so I guess that is kind of interesting. This, this is de- that's that is definitely a movie that that takes like practical monsters. It was a pro- It was the I think it was the first Project Greenlight movie that like series on HBO that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck hosted, and they got like a filmmaker and like made a series about it. I believe it was the very, uh, very first one. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a I want to get trip. really stoned and watch this movie. Oh, this is definitely a movie in which you would want to do that. And it is, it's, it's a, it's a wild, wild time. It is very PC. Yes. Every fluid imaginable is in it. Very PC true. or very un-PC? Very un-PC. Un-PC. Okay. Sorry. I was like, oh, <laughs> very PC. And, and yes, uh, every fluid imaginable is in that movie. It's, that wow. movie surprised me. So that was your trip and feast. <laughs> Uh, I want to go back to this queer folk horror because those are two things that I love to hear. Okay, so this is the latest film from Monster Makeup LLC, who did um, Drop Dead Drop Death Drop Gorgeous. Um, so it's Michael J. Ahern, Brandon Perez, Perez. Brandon Perez Sanchez. There we go. Got it. And then also there's another director, Ryan Miller. And I have not seen Deathstroke Gorgeous. Don't tell anyone. But this is their new film, St. Drogo. I got a screener from them. They've been doing the festival circuit. And I was really surprised by this one. It's very much like low budget filmmaking. Everyone who like is directing and making it is like doing everything else. So the acting is like not the strongest part of the movie. But with St. Drogo, like, what is... Okay, so let me just, like, give you the premise. St. Drogo takes place where there's... It's a all, all gay men. This couple is together. Their relationship is kind of falling apart. And one of the partners, Caleb, is, like... His, his ex has gone missing and he wants to know, like, what's going on. So he went missing. Last time we heard from him, he was in Provincetown, Rhode Island. And so um, Caleb and his boyfriend go to Provincetown to try to find Caleb. And what ends up happening is like very eyes wide shut meets cosmic horror. Okay. And so I really, I really like a lot of things about it. Like I really like the story about a queer couple, like a gay couple having these relationship problems and again like Mm -hmm. showing gay people having normal lives and like going through bad relationships and relationships that just fall apart because over time you guys change and what you want changes and so this movie very much like grounds 
itself in this like very realistic relationship and not wanting to and like showing the nuances of a gay relationship mm-hmm. in a way that we don't see there's a lot of gay sex there's roadside gay blowjobs there's like threesomes and lots of lots of gay sex which is awesome and there's some like the makeup in this movie it's like very like a lot of final act stuff um and it, it does feel very slow but like the fucking makeup they do in this movie is so good like it's so fucking cool how they shoot like the third act of this movie and the visuals that they create they have a really good eye for visuals and like their monster makeup llc like they know how to do effects makeup they really are creating some of like some really crazy shit again i haven't seen death Death drop gorgeous but this is my first one of theirs that i saw and like yeah it's very much a low budget horror movie but like that's like rough around the edges but like I'm really impressed by what they're able to create with like 20,000, however many thousand dollars, like almost nothing. And to be able to craft something like this, that is like very unabashedly queer is like pushing some boundaries in terms of like sexuality on screen and also creating like really fascinating narratives. I think it's really good. And I definitely understand like complaints about it, but I think it's like, I think if like once this group gets like real budgets and can work with like real like like professional actors. I really think they're gonna make some cool shit, and I just need someone to take a chance on them because like they're really really talented. I was not the I was not the biggest fan of Death Drop Gorgeous, um, mm-hmm. but I definitely agree with what you just said. I think that they're they have so much ambition. I think their ambition sort of outpaces what they can probably do with with the funding that they have and i do wish that someone would give them a shot with that because yes yeah i do think a lot my my problems with death drop gorgeous was this big ambition and not quite hitting the mark in terms of fully doing that i thought that the the trailers and the teasers that i'd seen of saint drogo made it look really like a step up in terms of the production value and like the the cinematography at least in those trailers it looked a lot better than than they did with death drop so it sounds like they're they're progressing forward and i'm really excited to see that i have i've not seen saint drogo um yet but i'm I'm yeah i think they definitely have learned a lot and they're definitely like this one is much more serious and much more like creepy. And mm. I, yeah, I really liked it. I, yeah. it's it's still on its festival circuit. I'm hoping it gets, um, because De- Death Drop Gorgeous is on Shutter, so hopefully Saint Drogo will get a release from someone. Because again, like it's just if you can look past some of the micro budget horror stuff, like it really is great. It's one of those movies that it's like this is why. I love horror movies and like why there are so many cool people out there making really cool shit and like approaching all of their like budgetary challenges head on and doing some really cool stuff. So I just like hope they continue to like grow in terms of their, of what they're able to do. Cause they're all just like all cool gay filmmakers who like love scary shit. Like Brandon and I DM about cryptids. He's got a cryptid sleeve. Like they're just like fucking cool weirdos and it's great. And I love it. And I mean, that was positive. Anyway, just a lot of gay stuff recently, and I'm very happy about it. It's really cool to be able to have such so much access to more queer stuff. And I know it's still really low, but like, it's just, it's cool. It really is. I completely agree. Yay for gay, as Tony says. Yay for gay. (laughs) Okay, anyway, off of my like queer folk horror soapbox, Nightmare at Sea. And it's not about the submarine. I'm sorry. I'm not, it's not funny. The submarine is not funny, but I had to address the elephant in the room. Okay, and now I got that out of my system. (laughs) 
I can't stop thinking about the submarine news. I cannot. I cannot get it out of my fucking brain. <laughs> I can't it's, either. It's like, disgusting. It, I don't know why. Just brain worms. Well, and it, it was so weird that you and I both read um, Our Wives at S- Under the Sea, which has a very similar, unfortunately, premise to the start of, of what happened in in real life. I know. It's not funny, but it's, it's like... Not. It's just very I, I, weird. <laughs> It's like, I want to share this on the internet, but it's very insensitive right now. But it's like yeah. the exact scenario that happened. Not the exact, but like a very similar scenario in this book. And I'm like, if they come back, we're doomed. Not actually doomed, but like, anyway, another Nightmare at Sea. Another Are you- Nightmare at Sea. Okay, have you continued your aquatic horror reading journey? Boy, have I. Uh, so Yay! I can't wait to hear. Last last week on, on was it last week, I think, on Twitter, I tweeted it was after i'd finished reading our wives into the sea and i was mm-hmm. like i am pumped i need some more aquatic horror stuff and so I, I put a tweet it went a little it's not viral but it did it did reach a lot of people that don't follow me and i got a lot of great suggestions for movies and books to add to my list i ordered a whole bunch of books but then there was this one oh, no. that someone had had responded that is not out yet but they're they're really excited for it and they can't wait to um hear or they can't wait to for it to come out because they've seen a lot of really good reviews for it and i went out on net galley and i was like i wonder if it's available and it was and so i downloaded it and i read in two sittings in two sittings i read whale fall oh fuck yes which, i've heard such good things about this book which is about a 17 year old teen named jay whose father I believe, I think it was like a year before, uh, the timeline is a little off for me, but I think it was a year before he was diagnosed with cancer. His father was like a big to-do in the the diving scene in Monterey Bay. And when he was discovered, when he found out he had cancer, he um, basically commits suicide in the sea and, and has his friend take him out there on a boat and then filled his pockets and jumped overboard. And his remains were never found. Okay. Um, <laughs> And you so know, that's sort of casual. Shit. Yes. And so that's sort of the, the start. And the thing is, is that like we start to see Jay as he is going to the beach and we're starting to like piece together why. And he is going there with his diving equipment. He used to be a diver. He, his dad used to teach him the town. He, him and his father had a falling out and the town sort of looks down on him. As, as the kid that abandoned his father because he spent the last year of his life out of the house. He like left the house after an altercation and has been couch surfing and staying with, with friends for a year while he's finishing school because he didn't want to go back home. And so there's a lot of like unresolved tension and unresolved um, feelings for his father. Complex and complicated feelings as we discover as the book continues. And so he goes out to see look to get his father's remains because he knows the coordinates. Oh, Ooh. he Yikes. knows, he knows the coordinates of where his father had committed suicide oh. and jumped overboard because his, his father's friend had taken him out there and his father's friend knew where they were. And so he oh, knows okay. roughly where those remains are. And so he goes out there to go try to find them. And as he is searching underwater um, with his diving kit, he comes across um, a, a chasm that he starts to like, I wonder if the body went down there. And he's like thinking about how there's pressure and stuff. So he like starts to go down a little bit. He's like, I'm just going to do a little bit of a search and see if, if he can find it. 
he encounters a giant squid, which is surprising coming out of where it's at because he's not at a depth that they're typically at. The The squid seems to be moving quickly and he ends up getting caught up in its tentacles as a giant sperm whale has been chasing the squid and ends up eating both the squid and Jay. And Jay ends up in the whale's first of four stomachs, stuck oh, with an hour, no. with an hour of air left <laughs> in the no. belly of a, a literal whale. And what follows? <laughs> of is course, I really... requested on a night galley. Of course, I did. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> so what follows is a very intense struggle with him trying to figure out how to get out of out of the the whale. There is a lot of methane in there, and he has again an hour on his tank. But he ends up starting to hallucinate a little bit, and so what happens is we get him dealing with unresolved trauma with his family, with the story moving back in time and forward in time to show different events in Jay's life with his father and sort of creating this very patchwork mosaic of his very complicated relationship with his with his overbearing and very kind of mean father who has kind of put him down and there's this moment where he says cuz he's he's always he's like not a very quote unquote masculine guy and so there's like this idea that that his father, who is like this very manly man, has been putting him down. And it's just, there's a lot of things in here that even though I don't necessarily think there are queer vibes with it, even though the kid at one point says, I don't think I'm gay, but like he's never really found a girl that he likes. So there's a, there's a little okay. nugget of that, but there's definitely, even if you take that out, there's definitely like a feeling of that a lot of queer men have growing up under their father when they don't meet necessarily their father's expectations of what they wanted for a son to pass down a lineage to and so that is so he's battling with both being stuck in this very uncomfortable situation while also trying to exercise demons and come to some kind of feeling of resolution with the amounts of guilt and anger and horror that his father left him and so it, it, it's a very intense book. It, the way it's written is there's no real chapters. There's a, a mm. PSI um, on the top. Oh, like cool. Counting down oh, cool. of how much air he has. Okay. And then the other chapters aren't chapters. It has like 2005 and it has like an event or it'll go to 2015 and it has an event. And so we see all these little vignettes that are in there. And the way that Daniel Krauss, who's the writer, the way he kind of moves in from them, it's a book that like you don't want to put down reading. And so while it's like 380 or some like pages, there's a couple pages. There's some chapters that are literally a couple words. And so you're constantly getting oh, okay. this like feeling of page turning that you just like, I just got to keep reading. And it has, it grabs you, it grabbed me and I just did not want to put it down. Um, so I finished it in two settings and I probably could have finished in one, but it was so late when I started it. I was so tired, but it is really good. It comes out in August and I, boy, did I love this. I love this book. I love this book so fucking much. Oh, he wrote he wrote The Shape of Water. He did. He wrote The Shape of Water with Guillermo del Toro. He also wrote with a filmmaker George A. Romero, uh, the, the Living Dead. He co-authored that with George Romero. Oh. Uh, I think George Romero passed away in the middle of of writing of, of them making yeah. it. I think is is what I, I'm trying to remember. But yeah, he uh, it made this made me want to go check out his other stuff, and I didn't even realize when I started reading it that he had done all these other other things. But yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Fuck fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 
highly that sounds August, wild i highly recommend it it's very intense and I he is just, not afraid did, of putting I his did, character did. through through trauma like there I is just request it on that guy yeah oh but it's fucked up like he fucks him up oh my god does he fuck him up <laughs> uh like, yeah. we keep multiple tony and kate have talked about how this is like the borderlands uh yes mm. it is pinocchio meets the borderlands said kate which i think is very apt and tony also said is it like... standing by my statement that we need to get rid of the ocean the ocean is horrifying and i love it <laughs> is it is it like any kind of like religious allegory with like Jonah and the whale kind of situation? No, I was wondering if All there right, cool. would be, and I don't, I don't remember picking Thank up God. any kind of religious. Like obviously, <laughs> there's the idea of Jonah and the whale, obviously, and as as Kate says also in our chat, Pinocchio, like Pinocchio meets Borderlands. Yes, there is. So there is like that kind of nugget of truth. And what I really enjoyed is at the very end of the book, he kind of talks a little bit about the the biologist and marine and the marine biologist and all these people that he went to go Ooh. talk to to try to figure out what they can do um or how this would unfold in real life so there's a lot of really interesting things in here and i boy i love this i love this book so fucking much oh hell yeah okay Ooh, i'm excited to read it yeah i'm excited to hear what you think cool all right yeah i've just been like reading up a fucking storm recently so i'm like I want all of the recommendations. This one is is really good. Cool. Let's uh, finally swing really far away and talk about the only Marvel thing MB cares about. Yes. So I I finally saw uh, Spider Man. Oh shit! The new Spider Verse movie. I can never remember mm-hmm. their fuck. I care about them, but I like don't like totally understand. Yeah, across the Spider-Verse. Thank you, Kate. So I saw Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse um, in theaters. I don't care about Marvel, but uh, the Spider-Man, animated Spider-Man movies are fucking incredible. Uh, there are pieces of fucking artwork. And this one is even more... Have you, have you seen Across the Spider-Verse, No, Terry? I have not. I've, okay. I've seen the trailer for it. I'm very excited to see it. It looks gorgeous. So... This one is even prettier. They're they're do they're playing a lot more. Like, I think it's a lot prettier, and I think you can really see like the confidence that they built in the animation, which is so wild because like the first one was so beautiful with so many like its animation styles, but here like they really go fucking crazy with everything, and like they're not afraid to play with abstract backgrounds now. Like, where there's like moments where like Gwen Stacy is kind of a big like emotional figure in this one with like a, co- a confrontation with her dad and they play a lot with like abstract abstract backgrounds and like colors with these things rather than having to have like a static background and so they're definitely experimenting more with form which I really yeah. really love in this one but this is kind of this is um we pick up Gwen is back in her universe and she is very sad and through means i won't spoil she ends up reuniting with our boy miles who is spider-man he is continuing to live his life as an almost 16 year old kid trying to balance saving the world and doing his homework and essentially when gwen comes back he realizes that there are spider-mans all across the universe and there is a lot of things that deal with being spider-man that aren't great And so he learns all about this. And also there's a new nemesis called the Spot um, who can like rip holes in the time space. And it is very complicated. 
but not hard to follow, like most Marvel movies are. At least I thought so. Um, Oscar Isaac voices a hot new Spider-Man with a big old booty. I know, everyone's been thirsting after this character. As they um, should. As they should. But I really loved it. Um, yeah, they really expanded out. Like, again, like the scope is even bigger this time. And they're definitely really leading into like a, the third movie that I think they already announced beyond the Spider-Verse, I think is the next one. Because it was Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, crossed, and it's like, okay, Jesus Christ. I don't, I can't remember shit. But I love this too, because like, you don't have to really know anything about any other Marvel stuff. Like, you can just enjoy this. So, uh, this is a very good sequel. It's very beautiful. It is very long. It's like almost two and a half hours long. Holy crap, that's long for animation. That's great. Yeah, two and a half. It's a, an hour and 40 minutes. So yeah, it's very, it's very good. There's a lot of stuff going on. Gwen Stacy is definitely trans. I will not hear any other words about that on the internet. <laughs> so when I, I haven't seen this, but I've, I've seen the, the trailer for it or multiple trailers for it. And all I can think of when I see them is there's this moment in Kimmy Schmidt where Titus is auditioning for uh, the Spider-Man musical. Spider-Man 2, Too Many Spider-Man with the number 2, Too Many. And he sings a song about... Because, like, in the trailer, there's this moment where it looks like all the Spider-Men are chasing after Miles. And all I can think about is, And I will crush that Spider-Man. And then that other Spider-Man. Then all the Spider-Men. Till I'm the Spider-Man. Well, <laughs> and that really, you of. may have that. It, it's pretty applicable here. Not like word for word, but the, yeah, it's it's applicable. It's it, yeah. <laughs> and so that's all I could think of whenever I saw the trailer is I would just start singing that in my head. Hey, it was but not yes. a 30 Rock joke, but it is still a Tina Fey created <laughs> joke. So <laughs> but yeah, highly, highly recommend if you're into those movies. And honestly, like. You don't have to be a superhero movie person to like these movies. They're really good and they are so full of heart and are so sweet and just like wholesome movies. But that about does it. Yeah. So I, I think um, we'll probably start up with doing um, another series on Little Cuts back in, in July tor- towards like after maybe the fourth because um, I'm still playing Diablo like a motherfucker. And okay. I was like the funniest thing that happened today. Okay. T- Steve goes out of out of nowhere, like in the middle of the workday. Steve turns to me and goes, Terry's in trouble. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I heard Final Fantasy 16 is really good. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the other. That, so that's the other. This is what I was about ready to lead to. It was so funny. I was so excited to tell you because Steve was like, this is what I was leaning towards because I am playing a lot of Diablo and then you better believe that I have had Final Fantasy 16 pre-ordered for a minute. For like and 10 years. <laughs> today at work, I just kept waiting because I knew that the embargo was going to be up at 9 a.m. my time and I just kept waiting and I spent, don't listen to this work, fo- work folk, I spent a good for like 30 minutes or so going from review to review and just soaking in what everyone is saying about this game. I'm so fucking excited for it. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. I am going to be playing the shit out of that over the next two weeks. So Steve just texted me, heard you talking shit. Yeah, I am. I, yeah, it was very funny. It looks good. So yeah. Um, 
I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Like I even Steve downloaded played, the demo. Did you play, like, Steve no, played, no, no. Yeah, not, Steve played the demo. Steve that. played the demo. <laughs> and he was like, "Huh, this is different. You can yeah. tell it's different." I don't really yeah. know anything about Final Fantasy, but I'm taking his word, Steve's word, as a, as he is also a Final Fantasy nerd. Um, it is the video game equivalent of the Alien franchise for me and the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Like Final Fantasy has kind of defined my entire life like i have followed it from the very first final fantasy game final fantasy and then final fantasy 2 which is actually final fantasy 4 regardless i have been following it from the very beginning yeah and i have i it's my favorite one of my favorite franchises (laughs) through thick and thin you have followed it (laughs) oh yes and tony says remembers playing uh, final fantasy 10 when he was 12 and he remembers having a crush on waka and waka was hot absolutely absolutely and oh my god, I've, I watched a video review of this game, and everyone in this game is so fucking hot. I'm just like, okay. holy right. cow. <laughs> Incredible. But anyway, so we'll be picking up the Little Cut series back in, in July. But until then, oh boy, Mary Beth, who did we talk with for Monday's episode? <laughs> so on Monday, uh, we're chatting with filmmaker Chrissy Fox. She's the co-writer and actor behind Bury the Bride and the recently announced Little Bites. Um, But the reason why it is very triggering is because she brought with her Arachnophobia, a film that we all know is terrified Terry. And it was the one of the it was the first movie that he talked about on the podcast. And we revisited it with her because we haven't done it with a guest. And Wow. The two of them are so fucking scared of spiders. It's, like, kind of incredible. This entire episode is, like, very much just them talking about spiders and how much scared they are of spiders. Um, it's great. Me it's really good. that, like, she and I are in a spider soulmate in a very bizarre way. Yes. Kate yes. Kindred spirits. It's we very have weird. very weird and similar spider stories. It's that- fucking weird. And I'm going to tell you right <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> now, she brought a story that made me leave the room. Uh, yeah. Can, can confirm that that did, in fact. I literally got up and I left the room. So, yep. Yep. be ready. <laughs> Monday is a lot. <laughs> it's very good. It's quite incredible. Oh, it is. I do say so myself. It, it was a very, a very fun episode. And I am so glad that I can cross off this movie and never have to fucking watch it ever fucking again ever yeah yeah Yeah, you were pretty definitive about how you will never ever watch this movie again so fair enough so that's a little bit of a tease for what you're going to experience (laughs) monday um it is it is quite an episode i have to say very excited i know oh yes tony we're aware there's a remake we talk about that we talk about that too (laughs) all right listeners you've heard from us Yes, it is Christopher Landon Gate. Uh, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch something or read something that we talked about this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for what our next series should be? You can let us know by sending an email to scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. 
And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, uh, join us through Patreon. Right after we're done with this episode, we're going to be recording, finally recording our spoiler cast for Scream 6. And there's Woo! that new Fresh Wounds out. And we got a lot of content and a lot of interesting things coming your way. So please help support us. Uh, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. Cause you want a fun break The playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that You could even grab a laser pointer And use your cap You can build yourself a homemade scratching machine Or use a piece from your chest set Go ahead, grab the queen Scratch like a DJ with your record player A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer Cause when it comes to scratching There's a million playful ways Thanks to scratchers from the California lottery A little play can make your day Please play responsibly Must be 18 years or older to purchase play or claim ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.